Welcome back to Heroes of the Faith, a show where we are inspired by the lives of the saints so that we can become saints ourselves. I am your host, Isaac Longworth, and I want to tell you about one of the most powerful experiences that I've ever had in my life. Now, I am studying to become a Catholic priest. I'm a seminarian, which means that I live with a lot of priests. There's a lot of priests who live with me in my house. And one of these priests has a very vibrant relic ministry. He travels all over the place with relics of saints, with relics of other holy artifacts. And one day he was working in his office repairing some of the containers that these relics are held in. And he called me into his room and he said, Isaac, come and see something. You'll never see something like this again. So I came into his office and he showed me this open case with a tiny little piece of wood on the inside. And he said, do you know what this wood is? I said, no, father, what is it? And he said, this piece of wood comes from the actual cross that Jesus died on. I couldn't believe it. There it was right in front of me. And because he was working on the container, the glass had been taken off. So the wood was exposed. And he said, Isaac, do you want to touch without any barrier, the actual wood of the cross of Jesus? Well, how could I refuse an offer like that? And so I was able to put my finger on this tiny little sliver of wood and pray with this amazing relic of the true cross of Jesus. It was one of the most powerful moments in my life. I'll never forget it. Well, that experience was only possible because of the saint that we're going to be talking about today. And that saint is Saint Helena. Now, we're going to talk a little bit later in the show about why Saint Helena is connected to the true cross of Jesus. But first things first, we have to start at the beginning of her life. Helena was born around the year 246 in what is now known as the modern day country of Turkey, but at the time of Helena was part of the Roman Empire. Now, not much is known about Helena's childhood. We don't know much about her early life, but we do know that her family owned an inn, a kind of tavern where people could stop and grab some food. They could stop and stay the night. And she probably grew up serving the guests who stayed there. She would probably cook and clean for them, keeping up the family business. Now, Helena's story is in many ways uh, kind of like a Cinderella story or a rags to riches story. You know, the, the idea of what I'm going for. Someone who goes from poverty to amazing wealth in a flash. Because Helena ended up marrying a very important man, a man named Constantius. Now, Constantius was a well-respected military general in the Roman army. He had risen through the ranks and he had become very wealthy and very powerful. And we don't know exactly how Constantius met Helena. We can maybe imagine that he stayed in her inn one day and he fell in love with the beautiful innkeeper's daughter, but we don't know that for sure. But regardless of how it happened, somehow this powerful general met this lowly innkeeper's daughter and fell in love and they were eventually married. And so in a very short amount of time, Helena had gone from working at an inn to being married to a rich and influential general. 
She left behind her old life and she entered into a life of luxury. Now, instead of serving people and being the servant herself, she had servants at her beck and call. She could command them to take care of her, to do all of her chores. She never had to work again. She was living the life. She wore fine clothing. She went to parties. She did whatever she pleased. Now, Helena, at this time in her life, was a pagan, like most Romans were, which meant that she worshipped many different gods. Uh, the Roman religion at this point in history had hundreds of different gods, and each god had kind of their own area of expertise that people would pray to them for. So they would pray for their crops to grow to the crop god. They would pray for victory in war to the war god. They would pray for a happy marriage to the god of families, and so on and so forth. And so the Romans at that time would travel to the temples of their favorite gods in order to offer sacrifices and to pray. And often Roman families would each have in their home a little shrine to honor the particular gods that their family was dedicated to. Now, Helena, as a normal pagan Roman woman, would no doubt think that her rapid rise in good luck was due to the blessing of the gods who had allowed her to become wealthy and powerful seemingly overnight through her marriage to Constantius. Now, Christianity as a religion was present in the Roman Empire. Helena wasn't a Christian at this point, but it was a present religion in the empire. But in Rome, it was illegal for people to become a Christian and it was a harshly persecuted religion. The emperor at the time, a man named Diocletian, hated Christianity. And so he had organized a fierce campaign to eradicate it completely from the empire. And so Christians could be hunted down in their homes. They could be tortured, thrown into prison, even put to death. They could have their property taken away. Uh, Christian churches, if they were discovered, were burned to the ground. Any uh, copies of sacred scripture were also destroyed. Christianity was under attack. The emperor was trying to wipe Christianity out of his empire. And Helena's husband, Constantius, would eventually also take part in this persecution. He would order that the Christian churches in his region be destroyed. Now, Constantius, personally, he didn't care who worshipped who, who worshipped what god. He didn't care about the Christians. He didn't hate them personally. But he did destroy their churches because he wanted to impress the emperor with his loyalty. He wanted to look good for the emperor, and so he persecuted the Christians in his area. Helena and Constantius conceived a child together, and they gave birth to a little baby boy who they named Constantine. They named him Constantine after his father, and as most mothers are, Helena was completely captivated by little Constantine. She loved him and she gave him everything his heart desired, which she could afford being the wealthy wife of such a powerful general. Helena seemed to have it all at this point. She had a wealthy husband who loved her, who protected her. She had a luxurious life. She had a son. Her life was going perfectly. But trouble was looming in the political world of the Roman Empire. Because you see, Emperor Diocletian had realized that the Roman Empire had grown too big to be led by just one man. The Roman Empire was huge, extending through parts of Europe and Africa and even into Asia. 
there had been so much political instability, so much fighting over who would be emperor that Diocletian decided to appoint other men to help him rule. And so he split the entire empire in two and gave half the authority to a co-emperor. And then each emperor also had a vice emperor. So if you want to imagine America doing something like this, it would be like the president splitting the country in half and assigning one new president to be in charge of one half. And then each president had a vice president. So really four leaders ruling over the country. That is what the emperor did with Rome. And even though she didn't know it at the time, this decision by the emperor would soon impact the life of Helena because her husband, Constantius, was an ambitious man. He wanted more power. He wanted to keep climbing the ranks just like he had in the military. And Diocletian's co-emperor, a man named Maximian, had offered Constantius the position of being his vice emperor. The only thing that Constantius had to do to cement that deal and to become the vice emperor was to marry Maximian's daughter, Theodora. Now, obviously, you can see the problem here because Constantius is already married. He's already married to Helena. And Constantius, as a result of this, he began to regret his decision to marry this lowly innkeeper's daughter. He had married her for love. But when push came to shove, he realized that he had made the wrong choice. Helena wasn't helping him get more political power, which is what he truly craved. When he could have chosen the emperor's daughter and risen to the role of Caesar, what was he doing with Helena? And so this resentment swirled around in his mind and in his heart until he finally made his decision. He decided to divorce Helena, leave her, and marry Theodora instead. Now, obviously, Helena was heartbroken. Heartbroken. You can imagine what this was like for her. Her husband left her and her son Constantine for another woman. He had chosen political gain over love. Poor Helena, you can just picture the devastation and rejection that she must have felt. Her family life was shattered, all because her husband wanted more political power. Now, no doubt, Helena must have complained and sacrificed to the false gods of Rome that she worshipped, but she worshipped in vain seeking them to help her, but they never did. Now, Constantine, her son, continued to love and support his mother as he grew into uh, the young man that he was becoming. His father, Constantius, tried to maneuver the political scene to ensure that his son would one day follow in his footsteps and become the emperor, but the ever-shifting politics of Rome were making that difficult. Because due to the ambition of his rivals, Constantine was replaced in the lineup to become one of the emperors in the empire. And so it looked like his chances of ruling were over. But Constantius still had influence over the Roman army. They still remembered their old general and the military exploits that he had led them on, and they respected him for that. And so when Constantius was dying, with his last breath, he asked his soldiers to support his son Constantine in becoming emperor. And they did, because after his death, Constantine was named emperor by the popular acclaim of his troops. And with his new army behind him, Constantine set out to fight his rivals for the throne. 
Now, even though he had his father's old troops behind him, Constantine was still outnumbered by nearly twice as much. And so he was heading into a big battle, outnumbered with the whole of his campaign in the balance. Now, before a battle, Roman generals would customarily offer sacrifice to the gods for their victory. And as a loving mother, Helena too would no doubt have begged the gods of Rome to keep her son safe because she knew that her life was in danger as well. She knew that if Constantine's rivals won that battle, they might send her into exile or even kill his family in order to make sure that their victory was complete. But before the battle happened, something incredible took place. Constantine came to his troops one morning and told them that he had had a dream. And in this dream, he had heard a voice speak to him, directing him to put the Cairo sign on his soldiers' shields. Now, you might not know what the Cairo sign is. The Cairo sign, if you can imagine it, it looks like a P, the, the letter P with an X drawn through it. And the Cairo sign was the first two letters of the word Christ. And so it was a symbol for Jesus. And at the same time, while he was having this dream, he saw a vision of a shining cross in the sky. Another symbol, obviously, of Christianity. And underneath this cross was the words, in this sign, you will conquer. And the voice directed Constantine to make a banner with this cross on it and use it as a standard to lead his army into battle, the same army that would have the Cairo sign, the sign for Christ, on their shield. Now, when he told this to his troops, they were shocked. They couldn't believe it. Constantine, you want us to put Christian symbols on our shields and on our banners? They must have wondered to themselves, was their emperor becoming one of those weird Christians? One of those Christians who worshipped only one god? who believed in some obscure Jewish preacher as the son of God? Didn't he know that Christianity had been illegal in Rome for over 200 years, that Christians had been persecuted? And we can only imagine what Helena thought about all this. She must have thought that her son, by this decision to follow the God of the Christians, would anger the gods of Rome, that they would feel betrayed, and thus Constantine would lose his life in battle. She was terrified of the consequences of his actions. And yet, she couldn't help but see that Constantine seemed so sure of himself. She saw that her son really believed it. And so fearfully, and yet with a flicker of hope, Helena watched and prayed for her son, even though at this point she didn't really know who she was praying to. Was she praying to the gods of Rome? Was she praying to the God of the Christians? But Constantine was adamant in his decision, so his troops grudgingly obeyed. They put the symbols of Jesus on their shields and on their standards, and they lined up for battle. Well, Constantine's troops charged into battle. They broke through the enemy lines. They drove them into the river, and it was a resounding victory for Constantine. When the dust cleared, Constantine was the ruler of Rome. Now, once again, Helena's position had dramatically changed. No longer was she the disgraced ex-wife of a politician who had abandoned her to advance his career. Instead, she was the mother 
of the most powerful man in the world. And soon after, Constantine made the decision to end the government persecution of Christians. He issued an edict that protected the Christians' right to worship, that allowed them to build churches, allowed them to be full citizens and members of society. You can just imagine how much joy this would have brought the churches in Rome. Over 200 years, Christians had been hunted down and killed for their faith in Jesus. And yet now God had brought Constantine to the throne in order to bring protection to his people. Now, as all of this was happening, Helena was watching her son and she was moved by his conversion. She began to open herself up to this strange God of the Christians who had helped her son gain the throne. And as she learned about Christianity, she learned that Christians worshipped a God who loved people, a God who never abandoned those who he loved. And this was attractive to Helena because she had been rejected by someone who said that he had loved her. But this God was different. He never abandoned. He never rejected. He was always there. And so after learning about this Jesus, Helena decided to become a Christian. She gave her life to the Lord. And this was truly the pivotal moment in her life. And she had gone through a lot of change, right? She had gone from working in a tavern to being the wife of a powerful general. Then she had gone from being a disgraced ex-wife to the mother of the emperor. But the greatest change in her life, the greatest status change in her life that she'd ever experienced is when she left behind the false gods of Rome, gods who had no hope, no truth, no reality. She left them behind for the true God, Jesus, the God of the Christians, the God who loved her unconditionally, the God who would never abandon her, the God who had opened up the gates of heaven for her. And as a new Christian, Helena had her life completely changed. She now had this desire to give back to the Lord what he had given to her. And so she no longer cared about living a life of luxury and wealth. And she used her wealth instead to feed the poor and to take care of the sick. She rebuilt churches all over the place that her husband had destroyed during the persecution. She even traveled to Palestine, which was sometimes called the Holy Land, the place where Jesus lived while he was here on earth. And she toured all over the area of Palestine, praying at all the holy sites like Bethlehem where Jesus was born, or the mountain where he ascended into heaven, or Calvary where he died on the cross. And she built Christian churches for all of the pilgrims who would travel there to see these sites as well. Many scholars also believe that while she was in Palestine, Helena commissioned an archaeological search to be done for the cross that Jesus was crucified on. She used her imperial wealth to commission this search for the cross of Jesus. It was like the biggest treasure hunt in history, looking for the best treasure, the actual cross of Jesus. And so Helena sent her team to search diligently, and they eventually found three crosses. They found Jesus's cross and the crosses of the two thieves who were crucified on either side of him. Now there's different stories about how she discovered which cross of the three belonged to Jesus. Some scholars think that there was a sign still attached to the cross that said Jesus, King of the Jews, the, the execution 
sign that was put over Jesus's cross while he was dying. Other sources say that a sick person was put on all three crosses, and when he was put on the true cross of Jesus, he was healed instantly. Now, it's hard to tell which of these stories is true. Uh, It might be even some combination. Like, for instance, maybe the sign was noticed on one cross, but they checked for sure by putting a sick man on it and healing it. We'll never really know which one is the true story or a combination of both. But we do know that Helena found the true cross of Jesus. Now, she was quite old at this point in her life. She was in her 80s and she was weakened by the long years. And so she returned home from her journeys in the Holy Land and eventually died peacefully in her bed with her beloved son Constantine at her side. And the people of Rome wept, especially the Christians, as they lost their beloved empress who had done so much for them. Now, there is a lot that we can learn from the life of St. Helena, but there's one thing that really stands out for me, and maybe it stands out for you as well. And it's the fact that Helena learned that God's love for her was unconditional and everlasting. She had experienced a lot of rejection in her life. Her husband had left her for another woman. She'd been abandoned and betrayed by him. Her prayers to the gods seemed to go unanswered, so much so that she maybe believed the lie that she was all alone, that no one was listening to her, that there was no God hearing her. But then when she heard of the love of Jesus, the love of Jesus who came to earth to suffer and die for her, the love that never changes, never lessens, is always constant, her heart was healed. Her heart was healed. She was able to to experience his love and learn to trust again. And that's important for us because sometimes we too feel rejected, whether that's from broken relationships, from divorce, from being abandoned by our parents, or whether we're betrayed by friends or people we trust. These wounds, these emotional wounds, they can sink into our hearts really deep. And what happens is the devil will use those wounds to try to convince us of lies that he plants in our minds. Lies like, I'm not worthy of love. No one could ever really love me. Everyone will always abandon me and I'll always be alone. The enemy loves to whisper these lies to us in order to take us out. But like St. Helena, we can rest in the knowledge that God's love is not like human love. Human love disappoints and fails all the time, but God's love is different. It never runs out, and it's constant through every struggle. In Jeremiah chapter 31, verse 3, God says, I have loved you with an everlasting love. And wherever you're listening from, I want you to hear that. I have loved you with an everlasting love. God loves you. No matter what emotional wounds you've suffered in your life, no matter who has made you feel rejected or unlovable or abandoned or betrayed, listen to this. God loves you always. And there's nothing that you could do that could ever change that. So why don't we pray right now that God would heal us of any emotional wounds of rejection or abandonment that's in our past, just like he did with St. Helena so that we can experience God's unconditional love just like she did.
In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Lord God, we come before you. Uh, Lord, in many ways we're broken and we're hurting. All of us have suffered in different ways. All of us have received emotional wounds that have cut deep into our heart. Maybe we've never thought of it like this before. Maybe it's all we've been able to think about, but it's there. And so, Holy Spirit, right now I want to invite you to show us those wounded places in our hearts, places where we have been hurt by others. Now, I don't know your story. I don't know where you're listening from, where you're at right now. But maybe like St. Helena, you've experienced the pain of divorce, the pain of a broken relationship. Maybe your wound has been a little bit different. Maybe you've been rejected by your parents. You felt abandoned by them. Maybe you were hurt in your past by isolation from being bullied at school or in the workplace. Maybe you felt betrayed by your friends or your family who you thought you could trust. Whatever it is, perhaps these wounds have caused you to believe a lie. A lie that you are unlovable. A lie that you are always going to be alone. A lie that people will always break their promises and so you can never trust again. And I just want you to invite the Holy Spirit into those places. Holy Spirit, as these emotions, as these memories come up, I pray that you would be poured out into their wounded hearts. In Romans chapter 5, verse 5, we read, God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit, which has been given to us. The Holy Spirit is God's love poured into your hearts. And he's pouring into your heart right now, even as you're listening. God, show us that your love is constant, that it's true, that it never goes away, that you're a God who never breaks your promise, you never reject or abandon us, that you never leave us alone. Father, break the lies that the enemy has whispered to us, that we can't trust you, that we are not your beloved child, that we are rejected or abandoned. Break these lies, Lord God, and speak your truth instead, that we are loved by you, that we are your sons and your daughters and that you have a plan for our lives. Thank you so much, God, for your love for us. Thank you for the witness of St. Helena and how she found what her heart was truly looking for when she encountered your love. So help us to become saints like she was. St. Helena, pray for us. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.